Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Living Open podcast. This week's episode is on ancestral healing as liberation and spirituality as a form of reparative care with the spiritual abolitionist Chris Henry. Chris uses they them pronouns. They're a radical black queer Jamaican Obeya NB and Olorisha in the Lakumi tradition. They're currently based out of Vegas, although they can be a bit of a nomad who regularly drives across the US. Before they began doing spirit work, as they call it, they graduated from the University of Georgia with degrees in English and communication studies, did community outreach for FEMA, and had a creative career doing spoken word poetry and making multimedia art projects as Chris with a K. Currently, they're the owner of the Spiritual Abolitionist and the creatrix of the Spiritual Abolitionist Oracle Deck, the only handmade, black-centric, ungendered Oracle Deck in existence currently. It's available for pre-order, link is in the description. They provide spiritual wares, twerk shops, and services that center the safety of black, queer, trans, and intersex folks in spirituality and believe that there is no revolution without ancestral healing. Their work is really incredible and it was such a delight and pleasure to get to record this conversation with them. We talk about their journey with spirituality and creativity, what started their deconstruction from Christianity, ancestral healing as liberation, especially for black, queer, and trans folks, connecting with queer and trans ancestors who aren't going to reject you the way your living families may have, reparative care with ancestors, decolonizing our notions of ourselves, returning to spiritual pre-Christian roots, faith and doubt, the process of creating the spiritual abolitionist oracle deck, poetry as a spiritual through line of their life, and not being stuck in versions of yourself that don't resonate anymore. This conversation is so beautiful and thank you for being here for it through the weird and inconsistent summer schedule that the podcast has been on. Y'all know if you've been around for a while that I try to keep it consistent. Um, But this summer, life has just happened in a big way and I got COVID and I'm tired and all the stuff. So thank you for being patient and supportive and for sticking around for these conversations when they do come out. Looking uh, forward to a hopefully more consistent schedule and back to every week potentially in the fall. I also just wanted to share a couple things that I have coming up. I'm sort of emerging back into doing some more um, public facing, I guess, question mark, question mark, work (laughs) Um, in these next couple of months and I'm really excited for that. Most of the work that I've been doing is like my freelance writing work and I've run like some holy groups over the past two years and a little bit of breath work, especially for like other people's programs and that kind of stuff, but I haven't been doing that much. And for a lot of reasons, you all know I've been through a whole experience emotionally (laughs) in the past two years. So yeah, it finally feels like time, I think, to emerge a little bit more into the work and 
That's why I'm doing one-on-one sliding scale breathwork sessions in September. Links in the description for those. There will be a holy happening at some point soon-ish. Not that soon, but some point this year in the fall. Um, and there's a wait list for that. It's a no pressure, no commitment wait list, just like an indicator of interest. And you'll get access to the application um, first before anybody else if you're on the wait list. So that's in the description as well. And the last thing I want to say is, like everybody you know, I am starting a Substack. I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a place that shares a lot of writing that's oriented and oriented towards and centered around aliveness with healing and ritual and queerness and a lot of things. So stay tuned for that. I would love to have you join the Substack. Um, and there's no link for that or anything, but just a PSA. It's coming at some point in nonlinear time. <laughs> okay, that's all the announcements I have. Love you all. Enjoy this conversation with Chris. So I always like to start the show by hearing about your journey, and I'd love to hear about your journey with spirituality and creativity, anything that um, has brought you to this moment and the work that you do. Yeah, so um, I was I was born with a lot of my gifts, but I think my family wasn't super spiritual. Well, my family was super Christian, but they weren't super spiritual in the ways that I've turned out to be spiritual later in life. Um, so as I got older, it was like, oh, those weren't spirits. You had imaginary friends, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of born <laughs> on that wave. And so as I got older, I was definitely like a much more like devout Christian. Like my parents didn't make me go to church. I went to church on my own. I think that was really just like when I was in high school and stuff, I knew that like I needed some kind of spirituality. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in college, I sort of had this like crisis of faith moment where I was like, yeah, this isn't working for me. Like Christianity isn't working for me. And I guess I was just um, like not, I don't want to say not spiritual, but I wasn't like particularly practicing any kind of spirituality for a little while. Um, And then my father's mother, one of my grandmothers passed. And I felt it the moment that she passed, she came like straight to me. I started to be able to see her and hear her. She would tell me to grab certain things when I would be out at the store and stuff like that. And I didn't really know anything about ancestor veneration, but I knew that like, I knew it was her. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I wanted, if I had a way that I could continue a relationship with her, I wanted to do that. And so I just sort of welcomed that connection, like our spiritual connection. And after a few months, um, she started telling me like, okay, I need you to make me, she described it as a landing pad, but other people call these altars. She's like, I need a landing pad. I need to introduce you to some other ancestors. I want you to get this. I want you to get that. And she more or less like taught me how to make my first ancestor altar. Mm. And I found out that was an altar later. I didn't even have like language for that, but it was really just um, me building like this spiritual connection with my grandmother after she had passed because I didn't, it was helping me grieve. Um, 
And as I connected with more of my ancestors, it was like they kind of started reminding me about more of my gifts. Um, I started earthworking and they would kind of send me different places where like things weren't quite right with the spirits in the land, especially because I lived in the South for the majority of my life. So I did a lot of earthworking around a lot of trauma that was like bound to the land and earthbound spirits that were bound to the land down there. Mm-hmm. Um. I and then my maternal grandmother passed a couple years later and that really heightened a lot for me. And I sort of had a really big spiritual breakthrough in terms of seeing my past lives and being able to see other people's past lives and really tapping into the extent of my oracular sight and stuff like that. So moving forward from that was when I got back into doing spoken word poetry and pursuing like a creative career. I was like a gigging spoken word artist. I eventually started painting. I learned how to drum and I started drumming for my ancestors and stuff like that. So I enjoyed that you um, combined like the spirituality and the creativity question together because those journeys were definitely interconnected for me. Mm -hmm. um so in those days people knew me as Chris with a K I was a performer (laughs) and um yeah at some point I had this moment where I was sitting with a book and my journal and I was getting ready to go to this open mic and something just told me to go home I went home I pulled out an oracle deck that I had I went on my poetry Instagram, actually. It was like a poetry page at this point, but I went live on there and I did a reading and this person was sitting on the live and was like, oh my gosh, you're literally speaking to me right now. Mm. And so at that point I started realizing, okay, I'm feeling like more pulled into doing a lot of this spiritual work that I've been doing for myself for other people. And um, at that time, I think I had started Mystic Spirit Services is what I called it, but I was still gigging. I was also working part-time in corporate America. I was gigging. I was doing aura cleanses. I was doing readings. I was super busy (laughs) around that time in my life. Yeah. Um, And let's see. Moving forward from there, I had started to learn a lot more about obia and that I had obia um, and that that was an ancestral calling for me, that that was something I was initiated to kind of like as a birthright. And I, yeah, I started to kind of realize that the corporate thing wasn't going to work for me. And started getting more and more signs that I needed to start like committing more so to doing spirit work and that that's something that I need to do. And that's something that people really need from me more or less. Um, yeah. And so I think maybe, maybe like a year later in 2020 was when I had kind of like departed from the mystic spirit services thing And I stopped doing as much creative stuff and I more or less birthed the spiritual abolitionist. I was in the middle of like painting all of the keys for the spiritual abolitionist Oracle deck. Mm. And 
I just kind of realized that I needed to bring everything that I do together more cohesively kind of thing. And when I was trying to think of what the name should be, um, because my ancestors more or less gave me the name, the spiritual abolitionist, when I was making the Oracle deck, I was like, okay, that feels resonant. And so since then I've been doing the spiritual abolitionist. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, It feels so lovely and sweet that like your grandmother was your guide into spirituality and connecting with your ancestors and was like really holding your hand along the way. Yeah, she really was. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting because she was like very hardcore Christian. Mm. But I realized more and more that like a lot of the things that she did I still kind of have to do with spirituality in general. Like I realized how spiritually sensitive she was just as a person. Yeah. Yeah. So it was beautiful. Oh, I'm looking at her picture now. Thank you. Thanks, Graham. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Yeah. I think I'm curious. I have so many questions that I want to ask you from what you said, but I think the first one is kind of just, you mentioned like, that crisis of faith and then being like, okay, this actually isn't for me in terms of Christianity. And then moving into like not really having spiritual practice and then coming back to it with your grandmother. And I guess I'm wondering, like, I have a similar story, not of my grandmother teaching me to make an altar, but a similar story of like having um, that experience of like crisis of faith and then being like, oh, this actually isn't for me. And then not having spiritual practice or spirituality for a while. And I guess I'm curious for you, like what, what brought that on? What was like, I don't know, the nail in the coffin for you of Christianity or what like brought on that shift? Oh my gosh. I could tell you the actual day. (laughs) (laughs) So my father was, um, really like my spiritual counsel, I guess, when I was into Christianity, So if I went to church and something didn't sound right, I would go talk to him about it. If I was reading the Bible and something didn't make sense to me, I would go to him about it because he's super duper well read on stuff like that from the time he was a kid. Because like I said, his mom was like very, very devout. And um, shortly after there was this New Year's party and I was sitting in the back of my parents' car and he was just like, yeah, to be honest with you, I don't really believe in any of this. And he more or less like told us all that he was like an atheist. And he was just like, yeah, to be totally honest, like none of this really makes sense to me. And this, that, and the third. And at that point I was like, so (laughs) the person who I was kind of like going to for all this stuff, like really didn't believe any of this the whole time. And it kind of made me start to question, Mm. um, And yeah, it was honestly really emotional for me because spirituality was super important to me. And at that time, that was my like avenue into spirituality. And so um, I think I had like a really long moment after that particular conversation with my dad where I was just like, well, what do I believe anymore? And I didn't realize the extent to which like believing in in him believing, I guess, was Mm -hmm. influencing me, but also, you know we're children. That's (laughs) pretty much our whole like makeup with our parents at that age kind of thing. So I, um, 
I would continue to pray after that, although I didn't know who I was praying to anymore kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was it was a rough year, to be honest with you, where mm-hmm. I was just I had questions about everything. It was like I was just like questioning everything um, up until his mother passed, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, being able to question everything was actually like one of the most liberating things. And to actually ask like, oh my God, with all of this like empty void space where Christianity used to be, like, what do I actually think? And what do I actually actually believe? And what actually feels true? And what do I value? And what's important? And what I want to orient towards? Like those yeah felt like such generative spaces and questions and I was like never allowed to ask them before because <laughs> mm. I had every answer you know yeah yeah there was a time where um and it was like much later because it was like I, I had to do some months and months of kind of like grieving and processing and stuff like that around that time but I remember a point where I realized that, okay, I think I believe in reincarnation because scientifically that makes sense. If all of us as organisms are basically recycled carbon from other organisms, it makes sense that we would carry pieces of those organisms. When I started learning about like DMT and how folks consider that the spirit molecule, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so it makes sense if we like have DMT from other organisms that we spiritually will carry like um, will carry souls of other organisms. So that kind of thing made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And when it came down to the stuff with my grandmother, I'm like, okay, well, we are our ancestors. We are a combination of their DNA. So that makes sense to me. Um, so actually I think it was a lot of science <laughs> that really yeah. me reformulating my beliefs. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of like physics principles. And when I would like kind of consult with some of my guides who I can't really name on here and stuff like that, I'm like, oh, well, those are larger things in the universe. Okay. So like Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, different things like that were really where those dots started connecting for me. So yeah, I guess eventually, eventually it did become liberating. I like that word. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that's like a center of a lot of your work, too. I'm wondering, do you want to talk at all about like um, how your work with ancestral healing specifically is like focused around liberation or just spirituality in general, especially for Black, queer and trans folks? Oh, absolutely. Um, And I think really when we look at it historically, pretty much all Black liberation movements have some sort of a spiritual focal point. Mm. Um, Voodoo rose out of the need for liberation. In Jamaica, because I'm Jamaican, like Rastafari rose out of like this resistance to white supremacy. Um, In current day, like Rwanda and Uganda, there's um, Queen Nyabingi. She was a like, hardcore warrior priestess and after they killed her she would start to possess these this cult of priestesses and give them war strategies and stuff like that and so um a lot of what I do centers the safety of black queer and trans people in connecting with their ancestors 
Um, a lot of folks who don't really know anything about their ancestors will come to me for divination and we'll figure that out together kind of thing and figure out how they can connect with them because there's a certain level of healing that can really only come from those who lived those wounds, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And those are our ancestors and our transestors. And I have so many Black, queer, and trans folks come to me kind of like afraid of their ancestors and afraid that their ancestors are going to shun them the way their family shunned them, more or less. And then when they sit down in divination with me and find out, no, you have trans ancestors, you have queer ancestors, you have ancestors who have seen how your family has treated you and they want to make that up to you. Mm. Um, and so not only for myself, because I myself, I feel like I covered that, like I found a lot of healing in terms of connecting with my ancestors as I became more estranged from my family. But I watch that in a lot of my like mentees in my mystery school. I watch that with a lot of folks who come to me for healing work or to do prosperity magic and stuff like that. Um, I watch that healing process kind of unfold with other people in front of me, especially a lot of like activists and stuff who never get any kind of repair for the amount of harm that comes from the nonprofit industrial complex, from the amount of harm that comes from literally just being Black and existing, having to consume the media that we have to consume, having to consume the trauma porn and stuff. Um, yeah, I find I, I watch it happen in front of me every day. And I don't believe that there is a liberation movement without that ancestral connection, because that's ultimately where a lot of the healing and a lot of the strength historically comes from. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That feels so true. And I had actually written down, I think you shared this on Instagram or something. There's no revolution without ancestral healing. Absolutely. Because that's, I've, in my opinion, it's like, um, when you heal yourself, and you do work on healing your ancestors, you're healing backwards and forward, like you're doing actual reparative care. And I feel like repair is, it's almost like, it's a word that gets thrown around in theory, but not in practice in a lot of liberation spaces. You know what I mean? Um, it's kind of easy to talk about repair in theory, but when you actually have these Black trans people saying, hi, I put my body on the line and now I'm traumatized and this, that, and the third, I don't actually watch a lot of these spaces show up to do that repair work. And that is, that's largely what really lit a fire under me to create the spiritual abolitionist. And even like those words and the fact that my ancestors kind of started to call me that because on the one hand, I do a lot of liberation work with a lot of black spirits who are bound to the earth by trauma. But I also do a lot of liberation work when it comes to actual living Black, queer, and trans people who need that healing work as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also the name of your work, The Spiritual Abolitionist You, <laughs> um, was making me think too about abolition and orienting towards abolition as spiritual work. Like, you know, I feel like there's so much that needs to happen inside of us, like deprogramming from punishment culture and working with binary thinking and all those kinds of things that like support abolition um, in a larger and bigger way. But like there's work to do like in our bodies and with ourselves um, and with our ancestors to to get there. Yes. And I feel like in a large way, like 
especially for like black trans people, like our identities are a decolonization process. Mm. So, yeah, <laughs> just to tack on to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to say anything else about that? Um, yeah, I feel like decolonizing our notions of ourselves is where a lot of that starts. Um, but I want to save that a little bit more because <laughs> I know you're going to be asking me some more about that. <laughs> That's okay. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that you also mentioned earlier was like your, your journey with the Orishas. And I'm wondering, I feel like there's a, a couple pieces there that I want to ask you about but I guess I just want to ask you anything you want to share about that journey and also um anything for folks who are listening who are like wanting to connect with traditions that like their ancestors might have um might have experienced or embodied before Christianity or before whatever else um like any thoughts for them on kind of returning to those roots and like working with that process. Sure. Okay. So um, actually it's super interesting because for a while I wasn't particularly called to Orishas, but I think it's because I wasn't called to my particular spiritual house because it's based in Las Vegas and I was in Georgia because mm-hmm. I um, people kind of knew me for doing spiritual work in Atlanta at that point. And so I knew a lot of people who were Ifa who would be like, oh yeah, you should come do this reading. And I just didn't really, I wasn't really feeling it. I was like, you know, everything's not for everybody. Maybe that's just not for me. Um, I became Facebook friends with the person who's now my padrino, who's now my godfather. Mm -hmm. And um, at some point in 2021, I did a cross country like adventure by myself from Georgia to California. And so I reached out to him on Facebook and I was like, hi, I'm going to be in Las Vegas for a few days. I want to try this D-Logoon reading. And that's um, the Orisha speak through the cowrie shells and D-Logoon readings. So on the one hand, if you do feel like you might be called towards Orishas um, and you're listening to this, you can feel free to hit me up and I can connect you with my Padrino so you can get a reading. like that will work I was like this this works because the story can kind of give some insight for that um but when I got that reading it was like um Orisha said you can't leave Las Vegas without receiving these necklaces more or less because there was a lot going on with me at that time Mm -hmm. so I was kind of like what (laughs) and then it was like that was on like a Friday evening and he's like what's the earliest you can be here on Sunday so that we could go ahead and do your necklaces And um, so at that point, I was kind of like initiated into Lukumi um, or Santeria is the other like name that Lukumi tends to go under. Um, My um, actual Ile, like Ile is a spiritual house. So my Ile actually can trace its roots from Cuba back to Africa. So I'm pretty lucky in the fact that like spiritual lineage wise. Um, I come from a house where they preserved a lot of traditions that far back. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so 
that was literally last April. And then I think a month later, I had to receive my warriors. Um, and then a couple months after that, I had to receive another Orisha. And when I attended my first Wido, so one of the first drummings that I had ever attended, um, Obatola, one of the Orishas, um, basically told me that the Orisha who had marked my head, Oba, told me that I was crowning in eight months. So I was becoming a priestess in eight months. And so that's why I'm not on camera now, because I crowned (laughs) um, (laughs) at the end of May. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought about it. I was like, wow, it was literally a year between me receiving my warriors and actually crowning. Uh, It happens fast for some people. It happens like, more gradually for others so everybody's experience is not quite like that but yeah so now I'm also in Olorisha and I'm really um I've been deepening my like connections with Orishas a lot in the past year and yeah it's been it's been really beautiful for me because a lot of what I have done I've done um like individually and it's just been me and my ancestors And so with Lukumi, it's like I have like a spiritual house. I have an elder. I have like people around me who kind of understand spiritual stuff that I can talk to. And that's been really beautiful. Um, And my mom actually, so Oba, she's one of like the lesser known Orishas, um, like in, I guess, like, popular culture talking about Orishas because that's going to be kind of limited. It's pretty close practice. Um, but she very rarely marks heads. She very rarely crowns people. <laughs> and so I was literally the first Oba direct crowning ever in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I didn't find that out till afterwards. I was talking Brito, he was like, you know, that was literally the first time that's ever happened here, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I feel so special. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, and um my um my priest name, my um santo name is what we call them, is Obalade. And it means like Oba graced me with her crown. Hmm. Yeah. So that felt really enigmatic of that, of just sort of like being literally the first one that ever happened here. Yeah. I'm like, I'm so curious. How do you, like, how do you, <laughs> how did you know it was that you were ready or it was time or that like, that was right. Was it just like, I'm just surrendering to this and I'm along for the ride. Mm, That's a really good question. So I had already more or less been elevated as a priestess in Obia. Um, I was already elevated as a priestess when it came to like the intergalactic stuff. And so it made sense to me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And I'm already like a spiritual elder for a lot of folks in community. 
So it made sense to me if they had called me here that like that was going to end up being my path here, I guess. Um, but and so it, and um, there were things that Oba had like said to me in different readings that resonated in terms of just a love that I needed, to be honest. Um, she and even things that like, because like I said, she doesn't crown people often. So she's not one that I get to see come down. Other people kind of get to see their parents come down and talk to them more often. But she would send other Orishas to tell me things for her. And I would just kind of recognize like, no, she's always been with me. Like she's been watching a lot of things and she's seen a lot of the healing that I need. And she's like, just says things that let me know that she has this love that I need. Um, and so it was a lot of just, I feel like if she always keeps her word to me, I should keep my word to her. So if she wants it to happen at this time, like I want to keep to my word and do that at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely like in the moments leading up to it, I was having like a lot of anxiety, like, ah, do I really want to do this? I don't know. <laughs> yeah but I feel like anytime you're on the way to any like big spiritual breakthrough there's a lot of that <laughs> like, mm -hmm. a oh, lot yeah. of that like pressure cooker feeling any breakthrough any transformation for sure yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. it wasn't like I was just like oh yeah this is chill the whole time I was definitely <laughs> having some <laughs> moments but I feel like and that's another thing I feel like um faith doesn't really come without doubt like if you don't have doubts if you don't address those doubts and then choose faith anyway is it really faith you know mm. yeah I'm like not even used to thinking about the concept of faith outside of Christianity I think because so I'm like oh right faith yeah <laughs> yeah I you like to of think too. of it in just a larger spiritual way because ultimately like faith and trust in your guides regardless of what like path you're choosing to pursue in that um like trusting in the unseen is faith to me mm. that's beautiful that makes me think about your oracle deck and I feel like the process of creativity is kind of trusting in the unseen like what you just said is like you're making something that doesn't exist yet you're like pulling something out of you or yeah there's like that that need to like trust that you're doing what you need to do and making what you need to make when you don't know what it's going to look like or how it'll be received or any of those things and yeah, I guess I'm curious anything you want to share about the process of creating your deck and what the deck is like and all those things. oh yeah <laughs> like gather around for the story of the spiritual <laughs> abolitionist article deck. <laughs> <laughs> so um <laughs> there was a time when I was making these like spiritual baths for people and so I would test them out on myself obviously of course and this one particular one that I had made um, I had paired them with some mushrooms and the second I got in the bath, I shot out of my body and went like way higher than I needed to go. And so there was a bunch of archangels just kind of staring at me like, what are you doing here? Like, what are you doing here? 
what had you so worried that you left earth? Like, what are you doing? And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was having like a really tough time. That was around the time when I started to really realize I can't like keep in this corporate job. Like it's really crushing my soul kind of thing. And um, I was also just wondering like who I was in general, I guess, and what like my role really was spiritually in general. And that was around the time when they were like, well, I mean, you're the spiritual abolitionist. And I was like, I'm a what? (laughs) (laughs) And at first, because I had written a book of poetry called Love Letters, I thought that like the things that were coming to me were going to end up being a book, like another book that I was just going to title the spiritual abolitionist. Um, they were like yeah (laughs) that whole thing about you never really know where things are going Mm -hmm. um and then around that time I was trying to find an oracle deck that was black centric and ungendered and I couldn't (laughs) all of the things that were more queer were very white all of the things that were more black were very gendered and so I sat with my ancestors and I'm like, no, I really want this deck. Like, why can't I find it? And they're like, you haven't made it yet. Mm. (laughs) Because at that point, um, I had been a painter. I had been a channel. I am a writer. And I had like, just as an entrepreneur, I put together a lot of projects and self-published a lot of things by myself. And so... Um, and I was getting these really huge downloads and kind of seeing things that were going to go on over the next couple hundred years. And none of these Oracle decks that I was finding were addressing them at all. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't find Oracle decks that were really addressing liberation and the need for revolution and stuff like that. I didn't really find any Oracle decks that were addressing a lot of the stuff that I saw that was about to start happening. This was in 2019. (laughs) My (laughs) Oh God! (laughs) I was like oh my gosh (laughs) where is the guidance that people are actually gonna need Mm. um and I was receiving just a lot of these really big downloads from my intergalactic guides about that stuff and so I would just be jotting stuff down jotting stuff down jotting stuff down and when they had told me that, like, yeah, you just haven't made the deck yet. At that point, I was like, okay, so I'm really going to have to commit to this. <laughs> like, mm. this is going to be like a long haul kind of project. Um, So I was literally like selling my poetry book to fund the Oracle deck as I was making it in the background. <laughs> Trippy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And um, when I had quit my corporate gig, like on the last day that I was there, um, it was like the day after I think somebody in the office has had, had had COVID. So nobody had to be there. So it was literally just me and the receptionist. And I went up and I just took a bunch of office supplies and I took a bunch of these FedEx envelopes and I didn't know <laughs> what they were for. And I literally just started cutting them and using them. So I had enough canvases big enough to paint all of the deck <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's alchemy right there. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, the actual process um, was super interesting because like some of the keys in there, I would have to do workings on. I would have to like do candle magic and drip the wax because of the gravity of what the thing was dealing with. I would just I was just getting all these very random sigils and stuff like that. Um, 
And yeah, so as they would come, I would just kind of try to do it. And as they would come, I would just try to do it. And even in the process of like making the actual deck images, like one of them would be sitting on top of the pile and this week would go by where all this stuff was going crazy. Then I look at the actual like key that's on the top and that key was reading me like before the deck was actually even created. <laughs> it was reading stuff. And so, um, and I wanted to make everything by hand because I wanted the energy to be so direct that even if a person had never divined before, they could use this deck too. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is something that I've found, whether it's people's first deck or their 50th, they're like, it's very direct. It's really accurate. You actually don't even have to ask it a question. Like you touch it and a key will come out and start reading your life. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, fuck. <laughs> I'm like, I, I know it because it was doing that to me before it was even done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also just sort of like, ungendering the concepts of masculine and feminine and ungendering things like there's certain things where there's like cosmic renderings of genitalia um to kind of like break the to kind of like deconstruct the need for anybody's genitalia to have to do with masculine or feminine energy I love <laughs> like that. in a cosmic way we all have everything mm-hmm. because everybody needs to be in balance with these energies And everybody is going to define and manifest them differently. So there's no way to confine people to gender identity in the deck. And no way to confine people to a gender identity in spirituality in general. And so half of the reason that I really wanted to do that was to really challenge those notions for people, especially folks who are really used to like a lot of gendered stuff in spirituality. There's so much of it. It's everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And so I don't know. I'm really happy that I was able to create something that like is like, hey, no, there's like a completely different way of looking at this that includes however you feel about yourself today. Yeah, I appreciate that offering of fluidity so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think so much of the like Instagram divine feminine, divine masculine, all the like super gendered spiritual stuff is just like repackaged patriarchy from Christianity. It's like not, (laughs) it's not helpful. And I don't want it to be part of my spiritual practice. So yeah, the ungendering and the creating fluidity in the deck just feels so lovely. Yeah. It, um, and also, it's like a deck that draws messages from more than one dimension because usually Oracle decks like cover one dimension. Um, so it's like, I feel like it's even kind of gender queer in that way, just in the fact that mm-hmm. it's multidimensional. And so you get th- different messages from different dimensions kind of working together to help you. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I feel like it's even fluid in that sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I literally shot the cover by myself with like mm-hmm. my ring light camera <laughs> remote in the woods. Like, oh, damn, I, made, cool. I designed the cover by myself. So literally like the whole thing was just made by hand. Yeah. 
And how beautiful to like be so close to so close to the work and to the project and like have your hands literally all over it. Like that's beautiful to me. Yeah. And my like the way I was viewing it, like I said, was I do a lot in terms of like energy work with my hands. So I feel like the most direct way to get people to figure out how to read energy through the deck is by doing all of this with my hands. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you before I ask you the last question on the show, just because I also write poetry and love poetry so much. What's your relationship with poetry like right now? Mm, Okay. Um, So I was, I've been a poet since I was like a really small kid. Like I was a writer since before I could write. I used to just scribble in my books. Actually, at one point I used to scribble in my child Bible and I would be like, this didn't go like this. And my mom was deeply concerned. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, in hindsight, that's funny because look at what we do now. (laughs) (laughs) But I got into spoken word when I was in high school and I used to go to open mics at this place called the Urban Grind in Atlanta. Um, I hosted an open mic, like a spoken word open mic when I was in college. Um, and one of my degrees was in English. So I was always, I was always just super duper into poetry, both like intellectually and artistically. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I took Latin in college was when I started seeing about, um, like poetry and Latin and how the goal was not to rhyme and things about rhythm and stuff like that. So I think that really like opened me up to finding like a deeper part of my voice. I had this spiritual awakening where I felt really called to get back into poetry after I had stopped after I graduated college. And like I said, I started gigging and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Poetry has always been definitely like Um, deeply spiritual for me even in the times when I didn't realize it was Um, and my book of poetry that I I had an album while I was a spoken word artist called Alchemical and then I self-published my book it's called Love Letters and I more or less I was doing a lot of really intense inner child like shadow work with a lot of my like very heavy traumas I had also recently come out as non-binary and I was going through a lot with that. And so I was really kind of like their love letters to myself. Um, And it's poetry from all different times in my life, from the time that I started writing up until the time that I was writing the book. Mm. Um, So love letters is really, really important to me. Um, I have a chat book called Warrior Oracle that I had made while I was doing the spiritual abolitionist Oracle deck. Just from doing a lot of processing because I was channeling a lot of really heavy stuff about what was going to go on. So I think it's always kind of been like um, my creativity in general, but poetry in particular has always kind of been like that spiritual outlet that's for me. Mm. Yeah. Poetry feels really spiritual to me too. It feels like sometimes it feels like a channeling and just like touching the part of myself that speaks in that language of visuals and feelings and sensation feels so spiritual. Yeah. And when I look at it, like, I think a lot of my, I was really honing my skills as a channel while I was a spoken word artist. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Because after shows, people would always tell me like, oh my gosh, you stopped and you said this thing and it sounded like it was just for me. I needed to hear this like X, Y, and Z. And then I started doing these collective channelings and it was a very similar, I guess, experience. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. drastically different from when I would get on a mic for a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, everyone who saw you do spoken word is like, we're not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. I do still occasionally, like occasionally if people are having like an online open mic, they'll be like, can you feature? So I do pop out every now and again. (laughs) Chris with a K still pops out every now and again (laughs) upon invitation. I'll have to stay Uh, tuned. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, and I don't write, like, I don't write poetry super often. Um, a lot of times when I'm reading poetry, I'll start to write poetry. So mm-hmm. I think it was Audre Lorde. I was reading the collective, collective works of Audre Lorde. And that kind of got me back into writing a little more poetry last summer. Um, I sat by the river and was crying to Oshun to win Orisha one day and um, was just having a really deep talk with her and a poem kind of like came to me that day she gets me into Mm -hmm. my creativity a lot when we connect Um, so at this point I think also because there's not like the pressure on me of that being my creative stuff it's a lot more like when it feels in flow I flow with it and when it doesn't I kind of take a break yeah. Yeah, that's so nice to be able to have that um that softness around relationship with poetry. I feel that way about my relationship with poetry too. I'm like sometimes I'm writing, sometimes I'm not writing literally anything. And I'm just like living. Exactly. And, I'll write and sometimes that's what you have to do to write. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I really believe that. Chris, I want to ask you the last question that I always ask on this show, which is just what does living open mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? Um, So this is where I wanted to save that whole thing about like decolonizing your notion of yourself. (laughs) Because to me, living open is self-determination and defining who you are for yourself. Living open is being safe and confident in living fully as who you are or even building the confidence to live fully as you are um, mm-hmm. to show up in the world and let them know exactly who you are. Um, I think living open is not being afraid to challenge conventions or even if you are afraid, challenging them anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think um, And living open for me has been a lot about um, just being open about who I am spiritually, because that was a process for me. Um, I was really private about a lot of what I do for a really long time because I was afraid of people thinking I was evil or like stuff like that. Um, So my spirituality has been a large part of living open for me in terms of just like um, embracing who I am for the world and showing up for as who I need to be in the world. Mm. Um, and I think living open is also just being open to transformation, to growth and not being, um, stuck in iterations of yourself that don't resonate anymore. Mm. 
I'm just letting that, <laughs> letting that land. Thank you. Letting it soak in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. And thank you for, for everything that you shared. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I was like, like I said, it was such a pleasant surprise. I'm like, people know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and now more people know who you are. <laughs> yeah. speaking of which can you tell people where they can connect with you where they can work with you yes absolutely so on the socials I am on tiktok and instagram at the spiritual abolitionist um please look for the eye because there's a scammer on tiktok who made a fake account of me but there's no Mm -hmm. eye in abolitionist um, so make sure you're following the right one. Um, I am also on Instagram at Chris with a K creates. That's where I kind of like let do my creative play and stuff like that. Um, in terms of my like products and services and things of that nature, you can find me at www.thespiritualabolitionist.com. Um, I make different healing products. I do a lot of like prosperity products, especially for people of color um, who need like help with getting resources. Um, I make a lot of protection products, particularly for activists and stuff like that, like for spiritual protection. Um, And I do different kinds of divinations. I do natal chart readings. I do aura cleanses, et cetera. So you can pretty much find all of that on my website. Um, I also have this thing called the Cosmic Reparations Fund, where white and non-Black folks can sponsor spiritual products and services for Black trans people uh, who need them. So that's also like in my shop. If anybody has the resources available and is interested in spirituality as a form of reparative care. I have um, the Cosmic Reparations Fund for that. Um, And um, yeah, I think that's everywhere you can find me. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, thank you. I'll definitely link to all of that in the description so so people can check it out. Yeah. And um, pre-order is going to be reopening for the Spiritual Abolitionist Oracle deck at some point in July. I haven't decided the date yet. But yeah, be on the lookout for that if the deck has sounded interested to you, anybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.